Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is a drizzly Sunday morning here in Berkeley, California. Um, I feel like I'm introducing a radio show. I know. <laughs> this episode will be out on Tuesday as usual. So if anything happens in the two things that we are talking about today, which is the first, the uh, confirmation, all everything that's been happening in the Supreme Court and uh, the theater around it. And then we're also going to talk about Turning red, seeing red, turning red, turning red. I keep saying seeing red, yeah. which I watched last night. Okay. Um, then we apologize, and but I can't imagine that anything's gonna happen. Like, what is gonna really happen on a Monday in the turning red discourse? You know, that's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna invalidate this podcast. We're trying to get away from all of our Ukraine coverage. We've chosen things <laughs> that won't really move. Yeah, well, I don't know. The Supreme Court stuff I mean, is that over? Is that process over it's, at this point? It's over. We're just waiting for the vote now. The okay, committee, right. so, well, yeah. as you can hear, I'm here with Tammy. It's just me and Tammy this week. Um, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let let's how, where so you back in New York, Tammy? Back in New York, yep. Everything's good. It's really beautiful and sunny here. How is how is New York? Is it like are you, like is it does it feel <laughs> like it felt last summer where you know everyone's COVID COVID? Uh, I don't know. What's the correct word? Yeah, COVID liberated for sure. It's very opened up. Everyone's eating indoors and. Um, yeah, I think there's a sense here that everyone who has gotten Omicron, who could get Omicron sort of got it in the beginning and now everything is normal and we're fine. Um, <laughs> the public infrastructure continues its collapse, but everything is fine and normal here. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you mean by the public infrastructure? Continues Just like I keep getting stuck in public transit on things that don't work. And, you know, right. there's a right. lot of kind of there is, I think, like attention and sort of uncertainty around you know, feeling of uncertainty in the air right? in public spaces, as we've discussed before on the show. But it's still like beautiful in my neighborhood and there are trees and people are out and, you know, it feels nice too. Yeah. I, you know, like that sense, like everything's not okay and that there's like yeah. a lot more ruin around us, you know, which I think everybody in major American cities has experienced or has at least witnessed um, either from being part, you know, part of that so-called ruin or from just witnessing it as like a citizen, like I think there needs to be some sort of term for that because it seems to be like it's it's a very fraught thing to discuss, obviously, because at some level, like at least here in the Bay Area, what you're talking about is you're talking about unhoused people, you know, mostly, and you're talking about people who are having mental health breakdowns, which is, you know, and then you have to really like put it in your head, like, well, is this more than I saw before? Or is it just that I was in my house for two years and now I'm it's the same, right? And that uh, it just seems more because I've been s- sitting in my house for two years. I'm not used to being around people, um, including people who are you know going through some form of you know terrible experience. So um, I don't know. I, I can't tell if it's real or if it's not real. Yeah, but almost everyone I talk to believes that there's something going on. I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah, I think... I think it it feels safe to say, and I think at least, you know, the reporting on this seems to show that there are mental, there is a growing mental health crisis in our cities. And that's probably because of the closure of different kinds of facilities throughout the pandemic, cuts in funding, you know, budget crises, essentially like around the pandemic. I also, I know that Governor Newsom has this new bad policy of basically forcing people 
you know, off streets and public right. places into, um, you know, shelters or other sorts of like institutional facilities. And they're doing the same thing in New York. There was just a sort of boast on the radio about how they've managed hundreds of arrests, well, not arrests, but essentially like detentions of homeless people on the subway to put them into shelters. So they're doing this forcibly under oh, the yeah. Adams administration. Yeah, sweeps, yeah. So this seems to be the new normal now, right? The reaction is, okay, we've been really permissive about quote unquote homeless people and people who are, have mental health issues. And now we're just going to take them away. We're going to put them out of sight right, and right. see if this alleviates this kind of tension that you and I are talking about. So in some ways I do feel like, is this you know, is this kind of indulgence in our feeling about insecurity, like leading to these sorts of policies? Like, I certainly don't support these policies. Um, yeah, but it seems like cities are trying to figure out what the hell to do. Right. Like New York never, I mean, New York has much smaller problem than California because New York is a right to like, quote, right to shelter. State. For street homelessness. Right. Yeah. I think right. our rate so, of homelessness is comparable, but yeah. So there are like in New York, generally the rule is that there, or not the rule, but the general belief is that there's enough shelter beds for people who are homeless in the city, right? Which is not true at all in in California, which is part of the issue here. Um, But, you know, that is- constitutional entitlement here. So there's supposed to, yeah, put you in a hotel if not. Right, right, right. Now that also exists here in California now because of like the Boise decision, Mm -hmm. but people just don't listen to it. You know, like the city governments and the police departments just don't listen to it. But- um, you know, like it's it is interesting because like I don't um, basically what happened was that during the pandemic, they had to uh, really reduce the number of people in congregate housing because of social distancing or congregate yeah. shelters. And so a lot of those people ended up on the streets. And this is why you have a lot of like makeshift shelters like uh, tiny homes or or Project Room Key, which is where they bought hotels, right? Or um, or even like safe, you know, quote unquote, safe sleeping sites, which is a really the euphemism of euphemism. It's like <laughs> it's like the parking lot where they they let you put tents up, right? And this and and they do they do provide services, like so. Mm-hmm. There's bathrooms and meals in these places, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a tent village, you know. Um, that's not unlike the other tent villages in the sense that there are services and you know it's regulated mm-hmm. by the government, and some of them have like curfews and you know, rules, all of them, I think, have rules about like, you know, mm. like alcohol and drug use within within the borders right. of the safe spe- uh, sleeping space, all of which, you know, you can debate about, right? Like, I don't think it's good to turn these places into places where people are all dying of fentanyl overdoses either, right? Like, and that compromises the safety of a lot of people. And um, all those things should be thought about. But like, I don't know, it just seems like the, if you look at what happened during the pandemic, like the congregate shelter thing is the main driver of this. It's like the spark of it where they really had to clear them out um, for good reason, right? I mean, you like having congregate shelters turn into like COVID outbreak zones is terrible too, you know? So yeah. um, I don't know. It's just like this huge problem. Um, and I think in New York, the way that it's expressed itself that for most people, I, I have not been back to New York in two years, so you tell mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but like it seems from talking to my friends at least, um, you know, it's that you see a lot more unhoused people on the subways. And that's, you know, and I guess that's where like the big subway sweeps and everything. Like, that's why they're necessary. Is that right? I think that's, yeah, I think that's Adams's justification. And I don't, right. and I wonder about the kind of anti-Asian violence stuff too, and whether that is kind of playing into some of this. Right, um, I think the so. The high profile incidents certainly right. give Eric Adams constituent support right. for, you know, more carceral approaches. So, right. um, 
yeah, it's it's very alarming. I think I don't feel comforted seeing a lot of cops lingering around public. So transit. is that happening? Um, There's a ton of cops. Like, I do in... see them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not commuting every day. So <laughs> my use of public transit is, is much more occasional. But um, yeah, I, I think it's discernible. And at the same time, um, you know, the public trans public transit it just isn't working well also which leads right. to stress. Oh, so. that was <laughs> anyway. I mean, you know, there seems to be this change whereas before I think that like and I, I think this is a positive change, I will say, you know, where like I think twenty years ago or so everyone would use like the most hateful terms to define the unhoused people in these cities. They'd be like, Oh, they're just lazy drug addicts who can't get a job or whatever, you know, and like they're just living off of government assistance and like I think a lot of that has been scrubbed out. Like, I don't think that people say that anymore. And I actually think that a lot of people don't think that anymore. Like they frame it in the terms of mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, we need to get people mental health pro- uh, help. Like that's what Andrew Yang said. That's a lot of ways in which uh, Eric Adams basically is talking yeah. about this issue, right? And that that's also an interesting shift though, because right. like, okay, what? <laughs> you know, there and aren't enough so... mental health workers to exactly. cover any of this issue. You're not yeah. going to create the infrastructure for it. And, even you know, I, I was talking to some people who work in this field uh, recently just for reporting and also just because something I cover quite a bit. Right. And like the, like the reality is that you could triple the salary for, um, you know, somebody who works with mental health and homeless, or like a service worker or a social worker or something like that. And there would still be a massive deficit of labor to deal with this issue, you know? And it's just because like, it's a hard job, you know, like I can't think of a harder job than that job, you know, and I, you know, God bless the people who do it, like, you know, but like, it is a hard job, like you're stuck between like the police, right? You're stuck between you're seeing horrible stuff every single day. You know, you're dealing with cases where the person, like, especially here in in the Bay Area with like fentanyl and everything like that, if the person has like a drug, they're probably gonna like, there's a very high chance they're gonna die. You know, and like, you know, like you just do that over and over and over again. It's a thankless job. And like, you know, of course, it's going to be difficult to hire those people. But at the very least, you should try and pay more. You know, you should try and give more sort of infrastructure for it. Um, but like, I don't know. There's just very little political appetite for it. What there yeah. is political appetite for is like building a bunch of shelters to get them off the street. Because the only thing that people actually care about is that they're not on the sidewalk, you know, right. Um And my own feeling, I think, about that turn from the sort of really kind of condescending view that we had when we were, you know, in the era when we were kind of coming up to this turn of like, well, everyone is in mental health crisis. I think that also is its own problem, though, too, in that it elides the main thing, which is the lack of housing. Right. You know, it's not like there isn't mental health. There isn't mental health crisis among people with housing who have money. They just get treated for it and they're indoors. And so I think that's, it's, it's almost like a new kind of pathologizing that we're doing, you know, from a sort of more criminalized, like very sort of denigrating kind to a kind that, you know, kind of smacks of, I don't know, a sort of like noblesse oblige or something in a sense, but it's, we're not really doing anything about it. And it, just oversimplifies the problem so right and the function is like the blame is still placed like not the blame i would say but the focus still plays on the individual person right it's not about um you're right people can have all sorts of mental health breakdowns in their homes you know um and the issue is that there's no affordable housing and um i don't know replacing it with uh and there's no public housing there's no social housing and replacing it with um 
shelters, like temporary yeah. shelters. Instead of permanent supportive housing. Like right. we were, there was a kind of like housing first moment. I feel like that's kind of gone away now. Um, oh yeah. Well, you know? it's, it still exists here in, in the Bay in ways that is, it's, it's interesting because in some ways they're more embedded in the actual funding of, of my, uh, how money gets distributed and in local mm-hmm. government. Oh. All the headline stuff is all this like sort of temporary shelter stuff. And that's all by, I would say it's, you know, I actually have a piece coming out tomorrow about it, but it's in a large part, it's by like politicians who are getting calls every single day. I mean, if you're a local politician in the Bay Area, the only call you get is right. about homeless people, you know, right. um, and every day, all day. And, you know, hey, there's a new encampment here. What are you going to do about this? Yeah. I feel scared for my kid's safety. Um, and, you know, I don't know, in some ways, like, I just think, well, look, like, citizen, like, what what do you want citizens to do, too? You know, like, they do feel threatened, you know, in a lot of ways. And, um, and having a whole bunch of encampments everywhere in the city is like, not good. You know, like, I don't know, I, I have this thing, where I don't, I actually don't think it's many people on the left, there is like this sort of thing on the left being like, oh, well, you know, What's wrong with this? It's a, you know, like what's wrong with these encampments? Don't, don't denigrate the encampments or you're going to lead to more carceral thinking. I'm just like, I don't think those are, that's a binary. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It is not good to have people living in tent encampments throughout like the richest cities in the world. Like that's crazy to think that that's like, okay, you know? And so your sense of outreach needs to also build from that, you know? So, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't, and I also don't think that like me or you as individuals admitting that, right. Or just saying that that's bad is emboldening the cops to do what they're doing. You know, yeah. like the cops are just going to do what they do. Right. Like we can at least be, have like an honest conversation. about it. Anyway, it does this- feel like there, I, I totally have seen that split as well on the left. Right. And I think it's, I think people feel trapped because of the policies of the cops. And right. Managers, right. So they do right. feel like, oh, if I say anything negative about the encampments, then I am feeding into NYPD or LAPD. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but I agree with I mean, it'd be nice if we could try to <laughs> escape that. Right. Like we don't like it's bad. You know, it's the same thing with like drug use in these, um, you know, and and the uh, and the homeless populations. It's just like, all right, like, you know, there is a problem with 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 meth and with fentanyl in these populations and it's killing people you know at a massively high rate since the pandemic started i think in san francisco it's doubled like fentanyl overdoses in in the unhoused population and um you know you have to be able to discuss this in some sort of meaningful way from a sense of empathy and compassion to try and get these people some help, you know, but not from like, and that doesn't mean that that automatically means, oh, what you want to do is lock them up and clean them out, right? Which is what like a lot of people here, like Michael Schellenberg or whatever, are advocating, which is like, oh, it's good to put people who are homeless in jail because it's like a form of detox or something like that. Like, you don't have to believe that, you know, like that. Who's Michael Schellenberg? Sorry. He wrote the book, San Francisco. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's sort of like the big, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't uh, read it, but I've seen the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, our mutual friend Ned Reznikoff like wrote, like did like a takedown of it. Yeah. That, um, I thought was quite effective. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, yeah, and also like p- friend of the podcast. We should, I, we should have Ned on at some point, huh? Yeah. yeah hey, he's, Ned. He, um, okay, so uh, 
wow, that was a long introduction and also much heavier than our usual introductions. <laughs> yeah, no I was kidding. just going to talk to you about things. But I actually thought, you know, good, good no, topic. I mean, we added it on. It's on our minds, right? Yeah. Right, right. Um, okay, so our schedule for today is we're going to just talk generally about uh, um, representation politics, right? And we're going to talk about it through two uh, two 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 filters here right and the first is uh through the confirmation of katanji brown jackson right and the i don't even know what to describe what it was you know i mean it's like embarrassed all, <laughs> kinds, em- all levels of farce it was over two days embarrassing it was very <laughs> cringe i just right Right. I mean, I guess that's all this has ever been, you know, that's, all the yeah. like all the way back reminder. to Clarence Thomas or whatever, right. where it's like, this has always been theater. I'm sure it was before Clarence Thomas. The only reason I mentioned Clarence Thomas is because the first one I remember, you know, because um, like it, I'm 42 and that was the first one I can like remember Definitely. actually watching. And it was so, I mean, right. It was I so mean, dramatic, it was right? And- headline news. And, you know, yeah. you had like all sorts of people just grilling and interrogating Anita Hill and you had like Gosh. the whole like meta conversation about, well, what really is a pubic hair on a oh coat really sexual hair? It's just like, what? That was such a degrading time. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's like, I think you and I are what? Like, we were like 12 years old at the time. You know, I think, I think it was it hard was so at least. It was so resonant somehow. I know. I remember yeah. it vividly. And yeah. honestly, of like the political moments, I remember viv- I was thinking about this recently. And I was like, that and like, the well, invasion. Monica Lewinsky. Okay, that was a little later, though. True. That's right. True. So, like, <laughs> so we were... Operation Desert Storm. Yes. Is something that I remember very distinctly. Definitely. And then I remember, like, um, I mean, I don't know how old I was at the time. I mean, I think I was probably what? When did George W. or H. W. Bush get elected? 1988, right? Yeah, 88. 88, yeah. So I was eight at the time, and I remember that. Like, I remember um, him and Dukakis and everything like that. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The Anita Hill thing was like, I don't know. So it's always been theater, right? And we want to also talk about uh, seeing red, turning red. (laughs) Turning red. (laughs) Which was a very, like, very different ways to examine representational politics. Okay, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, Katanji um, Brown Jackson first, right? So um, for those I don't know, everybody knows this. I don't even have to describe it, right? Like, but it was filled with like Ted Cruz basically asking her if she thought that babies were racist. Oh my god! It was filled with uh, the 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 senator. Oh, I can't remember her name, but asking her if she felt like uh, you know what is a woman, you know, and like all this sort of. I will say like horrible stuff from the right and not to both sides this at all but you know like it also was filled with like a, a type of like sort of congratulatory you know um triumph politics from from people like cory booker that's who, the thing uh, it's very uncomfortable it was it was it was a cory look i actually cory booker sort of giving his like you know uh i just want to talk about joy type of stuff and it's like and then, like, can I say something? It's like, so Cory Booker gave that moment. I look, I've, I'm not so critical of that moment, right? Like, I'm just like, okay, it was a nice moment. I get it. it. You know? I think it was necessary, you know, and I, it obviously affected, um, th- uh, you know, uh, it, it affected. I, I don't want to, like, what is the proper way to, like, are people calling uh, her 
KBJ at this point? Like what, what's the, what's like, (laughs) what's the, what's the, what's the term or what's the, what's the phrase? Um, (laughs) I don't know yet. Justice. Future uh, Justice Jackson, hopefully. I Let's do that. Future Justice Jackson seems like the most, (laughs) I don't know, like that just seems normal and like, you know, like not cultish and also descriptive and not like, you know, like I just. We don't have to hinge everything to RBJ, you know, it's. Right. That's good. Good. Yes. Thank you. That's how I feel about it too. And I, you know, like calling people by their first names when they're like, you know, like I I also think that that's weird. (laughs) You know, it's not my friend. Like we're best buds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a person in my life. It's somebody that I want to think about. And actually it's somebody who I thought did an amazing job. She's really incredible. Yeah. Given the, like, can you imagine being up there for like three days and being asked this just like no I mean can you imagine even handling two minutes of Ted Cruz I mean it's also isn't it amazing that they overlapped in law school I mean it's amazing also they're both they're both debaters oh that's right I mean oh my the whole it's just it just makes my mind so bad yeah the Ted Cruz moment where he's like he's like look if so if I I'm a Latino man and if I decided to become an Asian man, you know, or that's a terrible Ted Cruz accent. He has actually has much more despicable it's accent fine, than that. Actually, yeah. And um, and then she goes, uh, I don't know how to answer that question. You're bringing up a hypothetical. And you're just like, yeah, like, like what the hell is this? Um, Ellie anyway. Masala at the Nation also wrote an entire piece about her pause when he first holds up this like children's poster of a baby, and she's just like. What, what, and you know, imagine how much her brain is firing, you know, and I'm just like, but how do you respond to right. this, like, really badly reproduced image from an Ibram X. Kendi children's book? Yeah, yeah, I felt very torn in that moment because I also think that anti racist baby is a bad book, you know. I, in fact, wrote a whole column. About I know, she's I like, actually, baby. I was just reading a column by JK, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, I don't like that book either, but not for these crazy reasons, the that and then, but also, it was like this, it was a very funny publishing confirmation for because they were advertising. Advertising Ibram X. Kendi. Ted Cruz also held up a copy of Alex Vitelli's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of Oh, yeah. And of policing. Yeah. It yeah. was so funny. Anyway. <laughs> it was so weird because in the end, it's just like, all right, well, you know, what is happening here? Now, on the one side, we have like, uh, you know, like we said before, I want you to, I don't know, Tim, tell me what you think about this. It's like, what did you think about the sort of triumphalist like sort of representation politics that came out of this right like you know joe biden obviously very famously was saying i would this is going to be a black woman justice right and um you can debate whether or not he should have said that or not right or whether he should have just done it you know um but i actually don't have a problem with him just saying it because at least he's being honest about the need for it and he's not trying to cloak his intentions you know and uh I think that's much preferable, at least to me, as like a citizen who thinks about Joe Biden than just having everybody kind of knowing, you know, and not saying it. And I think that that actually leads to much more toxic types of conversations and just sort of outright saying like, you know, there's never been a black woman justice. There are all these qualified people. And I'm just going to pick one of them because like, you know, like we can't just have all white dudes on here forever. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So when when Biden first did that, I admit that I felt a little discomfort because I thought, 
okay, yes, I understood he was sort of priming the pump in a way it was kind of to do test balloons. We had a you know big profile of Leandra Kruger in the New York right. Times, so they were sort of testing all these different candidates. Um, but it did feel a little bit essentializing, and I wasn't sure how that would what that would mean for the reputation of whichever justice makes it. I also like I now sound like I'm completely glorifying the SCOTUS, and I don't want to do that. But you know, within the kind of framework that we're operating within right. here. Um, but now I think actually it was probably fine, and that seeing what future justice Jackson had to go through this week. I was sort of like, okay, there wasn't really any other way for Biden essentially was maybe trying to set up, you know, a kind of expectation um, because they were going to go through this anyway, and it was going to be horrible. Um, And so at least laying out the terms for people who do support the idea of having a very excellent black woman on the court, I think is okay. Um, I wonder though, I did wonder during the confirmation proceedings, whether the Republicans felt like they had to overperform their racism because <laughs> because Biden had set it up that way, you know? So they were like, I don't know. ever since he made that announcement, they were like, okay, get your Ibram X. Kendi books. I we're going like, in, you know? I feel like with, uh, I feel like there's, they'll just do it either way. You so know? that so <laughs> yeah. doesn't really matter. But they did feel really on point this week. They really did. I mean, it was wild. I it mean, was, the, I, I, will, it was I mean, do you think wild. it was effective? Because like, my thought was basically just like, Ted Cruz, you know, like you can be I you can be mad at Ted Cruz, which I think is a totally reasonable reaction. Right. And I think it's actually like the right reaction in a way, which is like this person is a U.S. senator. He's like a dude who went to Princeton and he went to Harvard Law School. And like, I don't think that that means that somebody is intelligent, but like it means at least somebody has read a lot of books. Probably there's no way that Ted Cruz believes any of the stuff he's saying, like since the beginning of his career, he's just been this crass opportunist who is debate minded in every single way. He doesn't believe in anything. He just wants to find the most expedient argument that like that will get him the most power possible. Right. But with this, I feel like he really like miss. I think he missed. I think he missed, you know. Like the because stuff it like so idiotic and juvenile, it looks so or? stupid. And it's yeah. very look, I understand there's a base of people who are like riled up about this sort of stuff. But I if you look at some of the polls about like if people actually care about critical race theory, it's not that high, yeah. you know, and like so who's he performing for? Right. Like, you know, like the 20 percent of nut jobs who like think that the, there's some huge conspiracy going on or like the people who like. Like uh, when he says stuff like, can a baby be racist? And she's like, what? And then like, you know, like that, that like, you know, they're like, oh, he got her. Like, you know, like I don't think that there's a large percentage of even Republicans who aren't embarrassed by what Ted Cruz Mm -hmm. did, you know? And like um, now that I don't think that's a rosy vision of the Republican Party or Republican (laughs) voters. I just think like we have to be kind of like he was so over the top. But was he the worst? Because as you said, there was Marsha Blackburn being like, are you a woman? There was Lindsey Graham doing Lindsey Graham. It was... Well, I out everyone. <laughs> I do think that like, OK, so one of the things that we should bring up is that like, uh, you know, CNN put out this uh, article and they said that like uh, five recent surveys have indicated strong support for President Joe Biden's decision to nominate Jackson for the Supreme Court. See, retiring Justice Stephen Breyer is vacating, according to an average of polls by Gallup, Fox, Monmouth University, Quinnipiac, and Pew Research Center, about 53% of uh, of Americans supported her confirmation with about 26% opposed. That's good for a t- plus 27 point net popularity rating. If Jackson's ratings hold up through her likely confirmation, she would be the most popular nominee to be confirmed since John Roberts in 2005, right? Like, so, um, you know, like, I just don't think that, you know, like, yeah, it's like, 
like I just don't see the groundswell of people who are like, oh, this is a critical race theory scholar who's like gonna, yeah, know, like infect the Supreme Court. And I, I just think like, I don't know. I, I just think that it's hard to like look at Marsha Blackburn or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I do think the trans issues have more social resonance right now mm-hmm. than than like critical race theory. But um, they were also trying to go deep on her decisions around child porn, right? Oh my and god! Going, yeah. it was. It felt like a real kind of comet ping pong. You know, Democrats doing right. the whole child. It was just so bonkers. But yeah, it did seem like they were just trying to attack every single culture war issue that was even, even if there was just a you know tiny speck of it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. So my one thing is, I wonder if some of it would have worked and caught on if. Future Justice Brown, Future Justice Jackson hadn't been so unflappable. Oh, she yeah. She really, she gave yeah. them nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. And so, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of amazing to just watch her as like theater, you know, in just right. as a performer, because I think if she had radiated just a little bit of uncomfortable energy or judgment or, you know, or then tried they would have like, gone or off. Or tried to like justify the correct side of these positions, you know? That's it. Th- I did feel, yeah. I mean, I was rereading a thing about Sotomayor's confirmation and I, she went through similar harassment. Right. And, um, you know, one thing you, you could maybe say about women who get these women of color who get stuck in these positions is they, it, it sucks that they don't, they aren't actually more comfortable to defend themselves being completely right. reasonable in history. Um, but you know, I mean, I think for most, for the most part, this this week, what what was she going to do? And she just, I know, I I actually thought giving there. them nothing was the right strategy. That's the thing. It's the one like I, I admire the most. I admire it, but I just wish she, you know, but because everything she's she doesn't have anything really to be sorry for in these decisions anyway. Right, right. Um, but it's not. But, like, yeah, I get what you're saying though. There is a type of like progressive denialism that like is a, a, annoying to me, at least, or frustrating sometimes because you're basically just lying, you know. Right. But there is no point where she was lying, you sure. know. It's like yeah. I just felt like she was not misrepresenting any positions or avoiding anything yeah she was just like what are you asking about you know like <laughs> like what are you talking about over and over Can and you over clarify? yeah the, the the vibe from her was just like what <laughs> you know which i i don't know i think it's correct when like oh ted cruz like you're on the board of georgetown day school and uh, these are some of the books that are taught there is there critical race theory taught to kindergartens and you're just like what are you doing? Right? Like, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I actually thought that Ted Cruz should have just pointed out that um, Georgetown Day School costs like $48,000 of a, you know, <laughs> a year to attend. And that, um, you know, that it's like basically all the Washington elite, you know, like mm-hmm. that and Sidwell, right? Sure, and that, yeah. um, you know, despite it's like, history which does seem kind of cool you know like where it was a place where jewish and black families could have right. an integrated school they're like come on you know like this is it's like the yeah, elite. yeah like yeah. can we please get off this idea that these private schools are like every single private school is like the wokest place in america now you right. know <laughs> right? Like, right. if you if you went to like i have not been to these so please don't but i have friends who have this is the <laughs> honest truth but if you went to like a private school orientation you know it's like wall to wall. Like this is what we do for diversity, social oh, justice. Man. Here's our tuition a bill. Minute territorial <laughs> Not even fifteen minutes. It's the whole presentation. The at whole this presentation point. is a territorial <laughs> acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, territorial <laughs> acknowledgement. <laughs> and then and then like all sorts of stuff about like diversity and the faculty and diversity in the um, student body and uh, you know, like what we do for social justice. Like there there's a school here in um Parenting the East horrible. Bay where um the banner image you know like when you go onto the website is of like six-year-olds holding up like oh, uh Lord. holding up tickets to <laughs> the school costs like forty thousand dollars a year to attend oh my, god. oh my god it's so funny um anyway so that's... our um our really rich conservative reactionary parents pulling their kids out of school friends no, and putting them in course. public school now <laughs> of course not they're of like we can't not. take this wokeness that's the funniest part about it is that the people who oh, run those schools have like I don't I actually don't understand why they do this you know because it's like okay like who is this really for yeah you know? is it for like liberal parents to feel okay about taking their kid out of the public school system and putting them in a I private would, school I think that's I mostly it you know that's like sort of like think. but they have to have a huge constituency of just absolute dirtbag hedge fund people who don't right, really right. care right but those people would never put their kid into a public school period you right know? And so, so they're so just they're, gonna stay it doesn't right matter. and the okay. thing that they'll do is they'll like write an email to Barry Weiss you know oh. like, yeah. but they're not pulling their kid you they know? leak like it sideways <laughs> right but they're never gonna pull their kid out yeah yeah like, of course like, what do you want me to do send my kid to a public school no Way. They're just forming like they're forming like a super elite. They're hiring like the South Korean like testing people, like, the most famous like math tutors from YouTube to be. There. <laughs> well, look, this is why my best idea I've had in the last three years is the J. Kang uh, Anti Woke Academy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> here in the Bay Area, where I'll just uh, you know it'll be all we do is learn Latin and math, you know. Every single day. And Russian and, books. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can do <laughs> that too. You know? um, and great works of literature. And, you know, we just like do Plato a bunch and Aristotle, Socrates, right? And then we say, um, you know, the kids probably learn ancient Greek or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Latin. They translate Catullus or it's something. It's like going to a gymnasium from like right, 700 right. years ago. And then, and then we, 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 market it to asian parents and tech workers you know wow. and then we charge a hundred thousand dollars a year and all the classes are you know it's like kind of like the university of texas austin or whatever they called it austin texas <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's for five-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> the products coming out of this show are so whack like we, have, yeah, if you know. <laughs> we have that we have your republican consultancy oh yeah that was, so many yeah, other exactly <laughs> Our swag is exactly. really bad. I know, I know. Well, look, I feel like this is a great idea. and I tweeted in jest about it at some point, you know, and there were a lot, I did get a lot you of responses and DMs being like, this is actually a very good idea, you oh know? And gosh. it's like, I know it's a good idea, you know? Oh like, gosh. of course it's a good idea. Like, you could, you could convince any number of people making like half a million bucks a year as like an Apple software engineer or like Google software engineer or something like that, right? Where they have like disposable income and they're worried that like their kid is not going to learn algebra in public schools, which, you know, like at some point, like maybe like so like 10% legitimate reason in California here. And then you just say, look, for the, for the great cost of $100,000 a year, you know, like you will be oh taught God. by me, 
you know, with all of my credentials, right? And then <laughs> I'll just hire a bunch of other people in the intellectual dark web. Unfortunately, I feel like Austin, so Texas funny. University has like has taken my idea and run with it, or at least they've like rated the faculty potential faculty of this school. <laughs> this school. I <laughs> think just like, we're just gonna you, do we're just gonna friend, do math uh, and Latin. My friend Bill Derizowitz has been writing on stuff like this recently for like libertarian outlets, like Unheard. And uh-huh. um, I think I feel like he would agree with you. <laughs> but I'm, it makes me feel a little itchy. Anyway. Oh, no. Well, uh-huh. anyway. Well, how do we Great get idea, woke private schools? I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Georgetown Day Georgetown School. Day. Okay. So Let's go back to our you, question. Triumphalist, say, triumphalist identity politics. How did um, you feel about the Cory Booker thing? His 10-minute speech owed to Harriet Tubman and all of that. I don't know. My first thought was like, this is necessary in a way. And I was happy that it seemed to mean something to future justice um, Jackson. And I was, and I think in that sense, it was like, it's hard to be mad at Cory Booker about it, you know, on a personal level, I felt like it went on a little bit long. It was so long. (laughs) (laughs) The problem that I have with Cory Booker generally, right. um, And look, I don't hate Cory Booker in any sort of way. Right. Um, I actually think I would say that of, People of our political persuasion, I'm probably like a Cory Booker apologist. I would be classified as like a Cory Booker <laughs> apologist. But, um, you know, the next day on social, all his social media cha- channels, he like recorded another speech <laughs> that he Wait, was just really? giving. Yeah, that he was like giving to camera. And he's like, what's oh, up? You know, no. he's like, what's up, tweeps? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then oh, he did man. it. And he like went on. And I'm like, this is the issue with Cory Booker. You know, it's like he can't just have like his moment. You know, he just has to like keep piling it on and then at that point you're just like look man like you know like we get it like um but i don't know like my overall thought was just that like i don't know like it's it did like i i think you'd be totally head up your ass and not think that the way that she was questioned was racist you know like i mean it's crazy you know and that if she like you can you could say oh well brett kavanaugh got it bad and she's like Brett Kavanaugh was accused of some terrible things, you know. But like, look at Amy Coney Barrett, you know, like, like, oh like, what was the word? Like that she just flew right through, she's you know. So... And Amy Coney Barrett has ton, way, way more problematic legal questions. It's so right? unbelievable that she's on the anyway. Right, like, and they just let her go. Now you can blame the Democrats for that, and you can say like they should have grilled her in the way that that the Republicans grilled um, future Justice Jackson, but like. I don't know, like, it's, uh, like, there was a big difference. One person, like, I think they're both, like, quote, unquote, qualified. I don't know what that means, you know, but, like, you know, sure, they have a lot of legal scholarship. But, like, <laughs> you know, Amy Coney Barrett is just, like, a pure ideologue, right? And and in a way that, that Jackson isn't, right? Yeah. And so, like, what are we talking yeah. about here? You know, like, why was she given this treatment? And it's because we have a bunch of clowns in the Senate on the GOP side. And because like, uh, and because like, it was just racist, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, it's, it seems self-evident to me. And so in, a, in that way, I, I don't know, I thought that it was necessary, but I also found it, you know, over the three days in which it, we had another Cory Booker moment to be like kind of super cringe. <laughs> I think that's the right word for it. I think someone was calling him a theater kid, which I found just completely right because it was that <laughs> aspect of it, this like 11 minute monologue of, you know, <laughs> Langston Hughes, Harriet Tubman, you know, it was right, just right. too much. And 
I don't know. I mean, but you know, whatever. It's not obviously a Supreme Court confirmation is not a place to like question true American values and like the story we tell ourselves about America. So, um, but I right. think I was really, I don't know. I was very put off by him. What do you think about this general argument, right? That like uh, the court, like the problem with this is that it sort of legitimizes the court in a way, right? Like people do think because, um, because she is on the court now that, you know, it will be like better for, you know, the stuff that we care about. Right. Like, yeah. uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's the thing. Like we, the court, even if she gets on is in, is probably through these next few terms going to be incredibly bad for right. progressive values and laws. And um, yeah. And I, I guess we, some months ago had an episode about the Supreme court and how undemocratic it is and, you know, kind of what a failed institution it is in a lot of ways. And I do, I do worry about these, these, as you said, like these triumphalist moments where we are basically reifying the power of the court the sort of meritocracy of the court, right. you know? Um, but, you know, on the other hand, Amy Comey Barrett and all these other clowns are on there. So obviously it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we like, can throw a couple good people in there. We're not changing anything. <laughs> did you know that, uh, did you know that Breyer went to Lowell High School in San Francisco? Like the, you know, the Stuyvesant of oh, Lowell. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was there for that a reporting thing recently. And they have him up on his on their wall of fame, as Aww. they should. I mean, if it's yeah, Supreme no Justice kidding, that's there, a pretty but, big deal. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's just like I think that we need to chill on pretending that like having a black woman on the Supreme Court is going to change the composition. It changes the composition, you know, on a personal basis. But the Supreme Court is still the Supreme Court, right? Yeah. And um, I think that we need to stop deifying it in the way that we do which i think is as we said before like a lesson that we learn in early civics class in like the fifth grade right which is just kind of like well the congress is a congress you know and the presidents are usually bad <laughs> but the supreme court you know like right. i don't know like that sort of thinking needs to end the idea that it's somehow apolitical right and um and uh i don't know i i hope that i hope that future justice jackson writes some great opinions you know i think that her perspective does matter, you know, Definitely. but um, I think that the idea that the court is going to be a transformative um, institution, even if it was nine black women, you know, like, I, I just don't think that that's right. right. You know, like yeah. the court is the court and um, they're bound and by a ton of stuff. Totally. And I think actually one of the most interesting <clears throat> forms of representation she's bringing to the court is that she was a public defender. Like that right. is much probably more important than her race and her gender just having that perspective on the criminal uh, justice system i think right well she was like a federal public defender right federal defender right so like as a federal defender you mostly are doing white collar crime and uh inter interstate drug you do a lot of immigration stuff too yeah and like very high like higher level crime stuff so yeah but i think just procedurally that's going to be important so anyway i mean she can't do anything by herself, obviously, and she's in this machine. Um, but, you know, to me, that that is a very good form of rep- representation on the court. Right. And I don't know. I think we have the same feelings about this, which is like, you know, I don't know. I was just like, I, at the same time, I don't think that many people, like, I was looking around and it's just like, I, I haven't been as much on social media recently just because, like, I That's don't good. know, like, it's kind of like driving me insane. That's recently. healthy. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's like, I, I I don't know. I think there's too many like 
I think it's like it reached a level of abstract conversation where like I just can't follow it because I'm not edu- well educated enough, you know, but it's I, I know it, exactly enough of what the conversation is to be annoying to me, you know, and, that, and I was like, well, this is dumb. If I can't follow the conversation and it's annoying to me, then like, you know, why, why do it? And I just stopped tweeting about anything except basketball because like there's no, you know, you know, and I just don't see the point of it. So, um, but I did, I don't know if the conversations necessarily about it were like, I don't think they were necessarily like the court is good now. I think they were more like, we love her, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I get it, you know, I get that part. Uh, and I don't, you know, honestly, I don't have some like, you know, and like, you know, like, you know, she's like a instrument of pat. Like, I think I agree with all that, you know? But at the same time, <laughs> like, she, you know, it, there's just something human about watching somebody being ab- abused, yeah. you know, and then oh, like, well, bas- that too, yeah. <laughs> and then basically <laughs> just like turn it around on these idiots. That is kind of thrilling. For sure. It's just like, just give it, you know, like. And like Biden out of the, so out of the women he had test ballooned, like she was the most progressive. Right, right, right. So it's interesting that she's, you know, One of the there. people was like a anti-union lawyer, right? At some point, right? So, exactly. I mean, that would have been way worse. I, I think that maybe that's why the, the left didn't sort of make that argument as much as possible. Mm. But I don't generally agree that. Um, it is, I, I don't, I'm not sure what it does for representation politics generally, Yeah. but, um, it certainly was like an instance of representation theater that I was like, okay with in the end. I know. Um, yeah. Like, like, it's hard to get that mad about it. I mean, she seems great you know? I know. for so like, for like in the small pool of people who want to be Supreme court justices, who I imagine is much like people who want to run for president, right? Like where like, they're probably all right. bad. In some way. Right, right. I know. <laughs> There's like something monstrous about them to have that much ambition. Right. <laughs> exactly. But like, um, but like within that pool of people, I was like, I don't know, you know, and imagine, I, I mean, just, about. I think the human theater of it too, with her husband and her daughter there. Oh yeah, that was nice. And her parents, you know, it's just, it's nice to see them. And then just thinking about the agony of them having to observe this. I know. Absolutely insulting dance, you know, so. I know, I don't know. Do you get mad at Democrats for not like sort of pouring it on onto Amy Coney Barrett a bit more? Maybe, uh, yeah. I think think there was a helplessness though, because it was just, I don't know. Maybe we always feel that way though, that we have to have, you know, that liberals and the left always feel like they have to be better or whatever that whole yeah take the high road or whatever but like i don't know i mean we're never going to stop any corny barrett from being that's confirmed but like at the same time like i I feel like she has more legitimacy than she than um than would might have been possible if people had been willing to point out some of these issues with her you know and Mm -hmm. it's not that people didn't yeah like obviously you know i don't know people like ellie mistal like you said like pointed out quite frequently but these are just people who are in the media, you know, right, right. like it's not the grand theater of like, you know, Lindsey Graham giving eight minute like homes, you know, homespun yeah. Southern tales about. <laughs> I know. I mean, no, what's the, what's our version of anti-racist baby around like her theistic ju- right. like, judicial philosophy? Right. Like she's basically right. just making decisions from the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's like you have to bring like precious you know. moments, like children's Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> with like, like all the little do you Does remember this belong that belong to you yeah exactly <laughs> i think when i was five years old i had a precious moment i had yeah, i had a precious moments thing yeah yeah i know it's like the thing about it was Korean very trendy stuff. at the time in korean church 
Yeah, yeah. I think people, I think white people don't really understand about a Korean people, you know? <laughs> So basically every Korean American person that you know had some period where they had where they went to church. Definitely. Yeah. And probably, probably Taiwanese like people too. Yeah. Many, many, many Bible verses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I mean, the fact that I with my parents, you know, you've met my parents. The fact that I went to Korean church means that like everyone went to Korean That's the same for our family church. too. Yeah. <laughs> basically atheists, you went but to, they needed you went to, to make friends. You went to Korean church, I went to Korean church. Um, I don't know. We're pretty like uh, our parents, I think, are pretty outliers in terms of like the <laughs> Korean American um, Christian community, you know, but still went to church. Yeah. You know, like um, precious moments. That's funny. <laughs> that would, <laughs> can you imagine like, oh my God. Can you imagine like, um, oh, I don't know, like uh, who would have been like the first? I can't even think about who the person would have been who would have actually done this on the Democrat side, but like, you know, like somebody like some Democrat standing with this gigantic print out of like oppression moments and all the chairs everywhere. <laughs> that sounds so incredible. Yeah, oh, with like God. whatever Bible phrase that like, you know, says that like homosexuality is a sin, you know, it'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> like Miss Conan Barrett, you know, you, you believe in God, don't you? And she's like, yes. And she's like, well, do you believe in this Bible verse, you know, from this precious moments Bible, gigantic blow up that, uh, that my staffer has just put up on this, on this easel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about like it's like a beheading from the book of Kings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. None of it's so good, you know. But um, I don't know. Uh, we're in a lot of trouble. I do hope she writes good opinions on all the horrible things that are coming out of the court. <laughs> I'm sure she'll have some really great dissents. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically... the other thing is that since the court isn't televised like you know like she's like it's she's good not like these people don't ha- it's not like they have like social media presences and right. stuff like that you know like they just like do their stuff in quiet and then yeah um people who read scotus blog get mad about it but like you know um i don't know Hopefully maybe it'll we'll have more access to their audio i mean obviously not their internal deliberations but yeah. more a little bit more transparency around the oral arguments and stuff right We've that enjoyed was... some of that through the pandemic but that was argued recently, right? That that should so, that they yeah. should be televised. I think they should all be televised. I think it's crazy that it's not. Like, why wouldn't it be televised? Like every single, like C-SPAN exists so that every single conversation in the Congress and the Senate can be televised, right? right? Like, why would they, these people not be televised? They're, it's true. They're public figures. You know, yeah. the conversations should be. It's open court theoretically. So. Right, right, right. I know. Yeah. It'll make like certain lawyers who argue in front of the Supreme Court into like giant celebrities which is annoying <laughs> yeah. but those people are kind of giant celebrities anyway who cares right. you know right okay. anyway let's talk about this movie so you saw it last night turning red did you see uh, it with your kid yeah she, what'd she think well look there's something frankie does every single time we watch a movie which is that after we watch the movie she asked my wife what what was that movie about <laughs> and then <laughs> casey <laughs> Has to looks up the Wikipedia of, of the plot and just reads the plot. <laughs> reads the plot. Oh my god! Did she so, asked Casey, who hasn't seen the movie. No, she had seen the movie too. We watched oh, okay, it together. Okay. Yeah, That's and then it. she says, uh, "What was the movie about?" And Aww. then she says, "Well, you know." Um. <laughs> That's really funny. It's maybe too grown up for your kid. Right. Well, oh, so my child's five, and so yeah. like, the idea of having crushes or even liking mm-hmm. somebody is totally foreign to her. You know, yeah. like there's a period where there's a scene in the movie where like the main character May is like kind of crushing on this boy, and she's like, 
why is she doing that? And I was like, that's, don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was, oh, but did she was, get scared by the she did. panda action? She yeah. did. There's some of it's kind of, but not not in a terrible way. Like you okay. know, she's just um, and she was into the animation because the pandas cool. are cute, and yeah. she thought that the you know she she thought, but it wasn't. There was nothing like resonant. You know, she wasn't like. Oh, you know, through the story, I feel more comfortable in America as an Asian American five-year-old. You know, <laughs> there's nothing like that. <laughs> I don't even know if I mean I don't think that my kid is a she's aware that she's Korean. You know, she's certainly not aware of. Like, Did she ever say anything in the movie or in other Asian movies like, "Oh, that looks like grandma and grandpa," or like that looks no, like no. X person? Okay. No, no, I don't, I don't. She's she's raised in Berkeley. You know, right. um, it's. Uh, you know, it's it's a very strange mindset that is imposed on these children, which I actually don't think they pick up in any sort of way, you know, but there is no like, oh, it's an Asian story. Part of that might be because there are a lot of Asian stories that she's watched, you know, yeah, and that um, it might be more normalized than when you and I are it's true. growing up and watching like bed knobs and broomsticks and shit, you know, or whatever that. <laughs> <laughs> what's that uh, what's like the what's like the is that the name of the movie bed knobs and Four, four Six? Is that i sense? think so i four don't think i've seen it though it's kind of like a lot of Poppins. disney movies um okay well what'd you think of this yeah. movie i really enjoyed it i thought it was really cute and i thought it was amazing that they had like billy eilish and a brother working on the, yeah. the boy band sounds and um i think it was very for it's very good for people our age or slightly younger right because all of this stuff like mixtape cds yeah it took and place having a in Tamagotchi. 2002 yeah yeah so there were things like that where you know um like obviously we're older than the character and the thing but you know still had a lot of like sort of 90s ish culture in there um are we older oh yeah we're 10 years yeah older. because yeah, she yeah. she wait, was like so the family photo at the start of the movie is like in the early 90s right yeah and the family right. and she yeah. it was 2002 and she was what like 14 13 right so yeah so we're older she's like but you know it was kind of a similar vibe i think um yeah i really i thought it was really sweet and you know i mean there's a little bit of maybe like girl boss feminism type stuff in there but you know it's all very sweet for a kid's movie and i thought the asian details like at the temple like all of the kind of visual stuff was just incredibly rich and um i think domi she the person who directed the film and who made that little short bow right. a few years ago um, was talking about how she was inspired by nineties anime. And I think you oh, got yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah. With you the, friends, like the crying you know? eyes and, exactly. the, yeah, and all this sort of stuff. So I thought yeah. that was fun. Yeah. I thought it was, I enjoyed it too. It was, um, I don't, I didn't find, maybe I, this is just me like losing my takes, you know, like, whereas like with both of the things we're talking about today, it's like, <laughs> I don't know, like, what's it's there to fine. be mad about? You know, it's fine. Yes. You know, where it's just like, <laughs> um, I, look, I've been to Toronto twice. The film, for those who haven't seen mm-hmm. it, takes place in Toronto. And it's part, it's sort of like the celebration, I think, of what is essentially suburban Toronto multiculturalism, right? Where, like, in the suburbs of Toronto, I believe there's a ton of different immigrant people of all types. And you see them all in this film. And not in a way that I feel is annoying, You know, like there's no like nobody really feels like a token. And maybe that's just like you have to kind of know something about Toronto to know that. But it's just like this is just like basically immigrant life in the same way that like there's immigrant life in the, you know, like in places like 
uh, Hayward, California, or you know, Cupertino yeah. or whatever, where it's just like, yeah, there's some Indian Natural kids, there's some Korean, there's like a Korean girl in this. Yeah, I didn't know she was Korean until she she's like spoke very, bad she Korean, Korean in it. which I thought was actually funny. Like, there's like this totally. real. Like that was a part like that type of stuff where it's handling like the language stuff where like, you know, like Meg can't quite understand what what her grandparents are chanting and like, you know, like this sort of very, very westernized <laughs> type of immigrant experience. I thought that she handled this beautifully, you know, because it's not like she pretended like this wasn't real. Like these are right. people who have to, you know, they're running a temple that sells like kitsch for Chinese mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. And yet their daughter still is like sort of losing touch with that culture in a bit way and that's where like the panda stuff comes out and stuff mm -hmm. but i also didn't feel like it was like this like narrative where oh well you know it's she must be like a chinese nationalist you know at the same time or yeah. like you know like you you will lose everything if you don't lose if you don't retain <laughs> your culture type of like a, i don't know like a I don't know. I don't. I actually, I can't. I'm not, I was gonna say Joy Luck Club, but I a don't remember anything about Joy Luck Club, and if it was like that, or B, if uh, and I've decided not to slander Amy Tanner. Your go-to punching bag. <laughs> no, I only did it once. I only did it once. I got yelled at. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but uh, there wasn't any of that. It just felt very lived in and very honest about this stuff, which yeah. I found to be totally refreshing. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that's why. I don't think actually there was that much controversy right now. I think there was like one bad take and the guy got canceled, which is really kind of stupid right. where he was saying it doesn't feel like a universal tale. It feels too specific and that other Pixar movies feel more universal, which like, yeah, whatever. I feel bad yeah. that he got trashed actually for that, but what it's obviously not a good he wrote, take either. This was a reviewer for Cinema Blend or something. Cinema Blend, yeah. Yeah. What the hell is that? You know? <laughs> it's a very good cinema site. Um <laughs> And then I think the only other people who were mad about the movie were like Christians who felt that it, there was spirit stuff was too intense. Oh, really? And Jesus I didn't even hating, see that. And that the the movie supports rebellion against your parents, which it does, which is good and not bad. Right. Right. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, so I think it's a I think it's going to be a pretty beloved film for people. And did you, did you feel like there was like a touching on? Like, do you feel like it was bordering on somewhat stereotypical depictions of tiger parents? Like, that was one thing I could see people being mad about. Sure. Like, the mother is very overbearing. She is. But then it's explained. Right. Because of the panda thing. So, I think in a way... <laughs> because of the panda <laughs> No spoilers, but... That should be every so I think tiger... it sort of, like, erases that. Every tiger mom's explanation when they confront their <laughs> child, you know. Yeah. Like, their child has just finished Harvard Law School and has decided that you know, they want to go be a public defender and they're like, what? And you're like, this is what I'm going to do. And then the mom goes like, I'm sorry. I pushed you so much. It was the panda thing. <laughs> the panda thing. <laughs> Everything the... I did, I did for you. And the panda yeah, I inside let, me. <laughs> I couldn't let the panda out again. You, know? <laughs> you don't understand how hard it is when we're, when, you know, life life is so precarious when you're a half pan, uh, red panda changeling, you know? <laughs> I was trying to protect exactly. you. Exactly. That's why I made you go to Harvard Law School. <laughs> so one uh, thing about the, the Tiger Mom thing, I think that was sort of contextualized in the naturalness of the movie is that the Indian looking friend and the Korean friend, they don't have tiger parents. Right. Right. So it didn't seem like it was a, it was just specific to this family so that, you know, they were very ambitious, but also she had the whole panda thing. So yeah. I felt like that's fine. And also that's how parents are. Sorry. That's how. Yeah. I'm sorry. There, there are, <laughs> Panda, there are Asian 
there are tiger parents. Tiger panda parents. They do exist. I don't yeah. know if they're also pandas, but like there are tiger parents. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. I, honestly, I found it nice to have that depicted. Yeah. Like the thing that I would find actually offensive is this sort of like, you know, kind of like so conscious, so like aware of stereotypes that you end up portraying right. a white person instead, you know? Like, right. Um, I don't know. I remember thinking about it. It's just like uh, there was like, like, you know, like when actors, like I totally understand this in a lot of ways where they say I'm never doing an accent, you know, like I'm never going to do an accent uh-huh. role. I'm always going to speak like this, like, you know, you and I are speaking. I get that in a lot of ways because like, you know, most of the roles for people with accents are kind of racist, you know, but like to set a rule like that, meaning like I will never use my acting abilities to portray somebody who's an immigrant who can't speak perfect English seems almost like it's a. Uh, it almost feels like it's hustling backwards in a way, right? Like mm. it's like, okay, I'm just going to portray assimilated white, uh, white speaking. I don't even know what that word, but you know, like white yeah. speaking type of type of Asian people. A sort of showbiz version of the "I'm not your delivery guy." Right, right, and I've I don't know. I find that to be like very strange. Now I understand the frustration of actors who are constantly asked to right. do these roles, but. Setting a hard rule about it seems a bit odd to me. And so, like, for this, it was nice because it wasn't like the parents were, like, you know, listening to the Grateful Dead and, you know, I don't know, like, <laughs> like you know, like, looking Making at... Making veggie list- burgers. And- yeah, listings yeah. of 1978 Mercedes S-Class coupes, you know, with <laughs> removable hardtop, whatever, mm-hmm. like, you know, white parents do in America. Like, they, uh, you know, like, they were comfortable having this sort of verge on what I think a lot of annoying people would say was stereotype. And I thought that was kind of cool. I liked Bao too. I didn't realize until you said it that that that, that she had also made. That's such, that was yeah. great. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. What did you think about the whole Canadian part about it? You know, um, did you feel like it was specifically Canadian? It, it No, it just felt very North American diaspora to me. Right. I loved the little Canadian touches like her t-shirt and, you know, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. As you were kind of saying, I think I can imagine a number of cities it could have taken place in or suburbs. Right. I thought it was San Francisco at the beginning because right, I started yeah. it without seeing anything about it. And, yeah. you know, like you can oh, see little communities like that throughout San Francisco where it's like an Indian friend and a Chinese friend and a Korean friend. It's not so common, honestly, here. It's more like the Chinese people are friends, you know, and then everybody else kind of is friend if I'm being mm-hmm. totally honest. And that's just because of basically immigration patterns, right? Like, uh, you know, you have a massive influx of immigrants coming from one country and they all go to the same middle school because they live in the same neighborhoods. And that's how that sort of stuff yeah. crystallizes, you know, but um, to get that type of like super mixed multicultural friend group in schools, mm-hmm. I think you kind of have to be further along in the immigration curve. Right? Oh, like, really? Where, you think so? Yeah. I think so. I don't know. But what about like, I mean, I can imagine among first gens in Queens or Brooklyn or. That's true. Yeah. Southern California. So I don't know. I think those schools might be kind of segregated too, though, like Mm -hmm. uh, socially. But um, I don't know. I think that like Toronto in itself, it's like the the thought I had was basically I had this up before and I had it while watching basketball. But like, you know, like when Toronto was in the NBA finals, right? Like it became very clear. I've been to a Tr- Toronto Raptors game and um, I've, and also, you know, I follow basketball, but during the finals, it became very apparent that like Toronto was by far the most multicultural fan base of any NBA team. Oh, interesting. Right? Like, okay. um, 
they're super fans. Like, you know, there's like a sick guy who was like, you know, like the number one super fan of, of the Toronto Raptors, right? This guy with the turban and, um, tons of Asian people are like all of the big social media, Toronto Raptors guys. One of them is like, you know, like, uh, you know, this guy, Stephen LeBron on Twitter, right? Like, and his friend, I think his friend's name is William. They're both Chinese, you know? Um, and like, they're the people who are like, sort of like the guys who like sort of usher the fans through. This is the life of like the Toronto Raptors fan. It's like two Chinese guys, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and you know, their biggest fan is Drake, you know? And so like, right, you know, like, right, so like right. you have this like, kind of, like it sort of, it's sort of like, touched on or at least promoted this sort of like beautiful multicultural utopia of being a Raptors <laughs> fan that like at some point I resisted because you know I'm an asshole but like there is also like part of me that was like very <laughs> that was like really into it you know like where it did feel like um you know this city at, at least has like some grasp on how to people can get along at least within this one context of this one basketball team yeah. that does feel foreign to America, to me as an American, you know, where I'm just like, I see. like, I think that you can think of parts of America like this, but the reality is not exactly like this. Like the only, the closest thing that we had here in the United States, like in terms of fan bases was like the golden state warriors before they got good. Right. Like where it was like, just like, I don't know. I don't know. I have no actual estimates. But it felt like 70% of the people at Warriors games were Filipino and like 20% were Latino, you know, and then 10% were black. And you would see like no white people. You know? <laughs> now it's changed, obviously, you know, but I don't know. I've been to I've been a couple Warriors games, too, at the new place, you know, where it's super expensive and in San Francisco mm. instead of in Oakland. And it's not it's not that that feel is not totally gone. You know, mm. it's reduced significantly. But um I don't know. Anyway, yeah, Toronto. I mean, Toronto has like this like weird Mariners place. Mariners games when I was a kid were kind of were pretty mixed. Oh, were they? The in... old. Yeah. Oh, old, old. Yeah. Before the nice stadium. The but same in like the kingdom. Like, in the yeah, kingdom. kingdom. Oh, because of Tacoma. I just went yeah. to a couple, but yeah. Yeah. Like baseball, baseball fandom at that time in that area was like pretty mixed. I would say. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's hard to imagine, but I believe you. Um, <laughs> yeah, just my little corner of so, those I guess the question I have is just like, do you think it's like Tor Toronto is sort of like, I, in my mind at least, Toronto has become like the, like the sort of shining hill on, whatever, shining building on a hill. What's the fucking phrase? Shining. The beacon on the hill, or whatever. Yeah, it's become the yeah. primary example of what I think people want multi-ethnic communities to look like i have no idea if the reality of toronto is like that i imagine that it's not necessarily like that all the time you know and that toronto is probably quite segregated in a while as well but i don't know i don't know yeah. it's interesting that toronto has taken on this at least this like sort of mantle at this point yeah we should get i know we have some toronto listeners we should get more educated about it i i, I think of toronto like that i also think of vancouver like that i mean i know it's like right. very heavily asian but it's pretty mixed and right Right. I, I'd like to spend more time there. I've only been there a couple times like you, but um, oh, I was going to ask you, what did you think about the dad in this movie? Turning oh. red because the dad is sort of a bit of a cipher. And how right. did that make you feel? 
Um, as a dad, Jay. Oh, I thought you were asking me, like, <laughs> as an Asian male, you know, what are your what are your men's rights activist takes on this? Like, listen, you know, we always get written out of story. You know, May is going to end up marrying a white guy. You know. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, no, I have the no perspective. Idea. I would literally never ask you about. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, this is more like you know trying to trying to neuter the Asian male through like a tale of just women doing everything, yeah. you know. And how dare uh, they? And her crushes are all actually her crushes aren't all white, right? Like in the mm-hmm. no, but the and the the boy band that they're like is at the center of this is like sort of perfectly multicultural totally. in a way that um you know is no it's i as a, as a i don't know i felt like you know like it is interesting how like the dad doesn't really have much of a role but it's a mother-daughter story i know, you know? So. and so like what are you gonna do you know right. like it's a um it's not a story about the father and the father is kind of like this like i don't know generic like nice he's kind of good dad you know um and that's that's uh, less interesting than if he was had more of a agency, but it's fucking Pixar film, you know. Yeah. And like, um, I don't want to plumb too don't deep get too into deep. this. It didn't bother me. <laughs> at, it didn't bother cool. me when it when it happened, except yeah. for all the stuff I said before. <laughs> <laughs> Your next thing piece. <laughs> yeah, the extermination of the Asian male <laughs> as evinced by seeing red or turning red <laughs> the replacement theory of turning red. yeah did you notice that all the pandas were women <laughs> that actually is true all the aunts and the grandmother but that isn't that the thing though it's like the matrilineal curse blessing. oh is it oh I think so, so only women can become pandas that, What's up well with that, that was my reading of it because it had the empress like god type figure oh. and it only affected the women also, yeah. the detailing on the crew of Ajimas. I don't know what the term for Ajima is in this Chinese yeah, context. aunties. I think it was so incredible. It was really like, good. The detail of their shoes, their hair, their makeup, their like jerseys. It was so good. The, the, the first, I, what, what's her name again? The, the sort of creator behind this? Um, Domi Shi. Domi Shi. She's quite, she's like very so, creative, you know? know. It's just like the. Spot on. Um, also. And it's like, it was like funny and also. Like when they're like sort of breaking all their different forms of jewelry and stuff like that. It's just yeah. funny. Like it's it's cool yeah, and exciting. Right. And um yeah, I'm trying to resist thinking of like a joke. Like I do think that if somebody were to go super full like men's right act oh, no. that, <laughs> that they would fight a lot, you know, there and it would be like in any mom daughter yeah. story, right? <laughs> like... It wouldn't be funny, you know, because it would lead to but um there would be a there could be a blog post that like you and I and Andy talked, you know, like sort of passed around oh, and, no. laughed, and laughed at because it was so unhinged, you know. That was yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. No, I don't think about it. Uh, the the other um, I don't know. The and, and so like what did you think? Like I have a hard time thinking this way, but like um we've had a lot of Asian stuff. We've specifically had a lot of Asian animated movies like raya for example right like that was i have to see that i haven't seen it well it was asian let me tell you and then there was like (laughs) an asian one um that was about like an alternate universe in the moon or something like that i don't remember the name of it i really liked it though um Mm -hmm. i'll maybe i'll put in the show notes or something like that and then we had up right where the kid was korean oh yeah did you know that no 
No, I didn't know that either until somebody was like, the kid is Korean. I was like, the really? kid is Korean? I that's, thought it was just... that's incidental. Right. <laughs> yeah. That is not. <laughs> but it seems like Pixar is trying to, you know, it is interesting that, Korea, that Pixar decided to make this movie up, which was like a huge hit for them, which, I, by the way, is a very, like, I have a very, very, like, I find all Pixar movies or the vast majority of Pixar movies are good, you know, and I'm actually kind of. I'm kind of like in awe of it in a way. It's just like. It's so consistent. I don't understand. Like, so they're, you know, they're, they're in Emeryville. So I can drive to, oh, you can yeah. drive by their office like 10 minutes, 20 minutes from my house, 15 minutes or something like that. And I drive by quite a bit because, you know, they're near the card room around here. And so like, uh, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand how, like, how do they make all these stories it's like so it's... satisfying in a way, right? Like Coco. It's kind of like the American Studio Ghibli. Yeah, but some of the Studio Ghibli stuff is wildly weird. You know? It's true. <laughs> like, some of it is also it has like more range. Borderline unwatchable. You but, know? Like, oh, there, really? Yeah, there are a couple know. of those where I won't say the names because I don't want people to get mad at me. <laughs> but like a couple Hate of them are just like like these are not like you know like like they're a little off the rails here, which does give it more character. <laughs> That's the thing, and it makes it's me like, like Disney it more. When Disney did surrealism or something, I don't know. Right, it makes me like Studio Ghibli more yeah. than Pixar in a way. But Pixar, like all these, these are like perfectly told stories if they you think about really it from a structural are, standpoint, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just would like to know their process. Did you see Soul? I did. Yeah. Wow. That was. I enjoyed that one too. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that was another one where like that the details were perfect. Kids. No, no. That that's, is not. That's for, <laughs> that's for like 63 year old people in the Berkeley Hills. <laughs> Who love jazz? I know, know. Like a saxophone in the basement. They're yeah, like, they have like <laughs> so they they have like twenty thousand vinyl records, you know, and they're like somewhere. Exactly. If you talk to them, they'll oh only God. talk about that, you know. They'll be like, oh, "Listen, yeah. I have this vinyl of like you know a studio session that uh, Coleman Hawkins was playing." <laughs> totally. Like, that was who that movie was for. Um, I don't know. I I was it, it was anyway. My whole point was just that it was. Great to see that that machine, which, you know, like I can, we can say whatever we want about it. Oh, it's, you know, like, you know, like it's pu- putting out like capitalist, fa- whatever. Like, you know, there's critiques of it, but like just from like an aesthetic and yeah, like yeah. structural standpoint, it's like, oh, listen, you have to respect it, right? Absolutely. It was cool that they uh, could put out a very, very, what felt like a very Asian type of world. And have it still pass muster mm-hmm. amongst the people who would be offended by it. Now, if this is the reason why the man from Cinema Blend decided <laughs> to say this was only for Asian people, then I don't know. Like, you know, like it, I don't understand why everyone was so mad about that. Like, it's He's just cinema. Talking, yeah. It's just Cinema Blend. You know, who cares? You know, it's fine. Like, people are, it's a, like, what's it? Like, we have like a huge Pixar movie. Like, I think we won that side. I know. You know? <laughs> like, also, I mean, I think it's okay for critics to say stupid stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. That's yeah. what critics should do. I like it. I don't know. Anyway. Right. Um, and like, yeah, it, but I think you're right that I think studios know. Well, so one question always is like, oh, are they appealing to a Chinese or, you know, global overseas market in Asia, which I think ooh. is real. Yeah, probably. This um, one did not. But, like, know, there is no like, depictions of like, you know, Tiananmen Square in this one, you know. <laughs> There's nothing. I do there. not mind the yeah, the deep diasporic traumas of. <laughs> yeah, there are no yeah. like you know like there are no uh, Uyghur kids or anything like that, and so yeah, I I guess it is. They edited of, them out. They used to be in there. 
Really? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, okay. I was like, what? I was the like, Uyghur boy band is yeah. now a multi-culti <laughs> <laughs> Canadian boy band. Yeah, no, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, uh, now you know. Now that you mentioned, I think you're right. It would probably like I didn't I think see that's always a thing. You know, to, that's about it. That's a part of it, but that doesn't explain everything. Right, right, yeah. right, and also, um, I don't know. Like, there's. Like, you know, we don't have to, we're not nationalists here. Like, you know, it's good for a, like, if people in China really enjoy this movie, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like, it's, uh, um, and nor is there any sort of nationalistic reason that why we should say that American uh, movie houses should make things for Americans only. You know, like, it's stupid. You know, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, now, if you're politically changing things or whatever, then that's different. But I don't know, it's a kid's movie. You know, we should. Yeah, it should have a, a universal bit. appeal. That's kind of the idea. So. Right? Did you feel so? <clears throat> thumbs up, thumbs down. Is this an advance for Asian representation? <laughs> <in> <laughs> representation. <laughs> thumbs up for panda representation. No, yeah, panda it's, rep- it's a huge win. It's a for huge panda victory for tiger for moms panda. and pandas. Right. I think it was a big. It's big a rehabilitation of the tiger mom. This movie. I know. I know. I wonder if Amy Chua. We should. <laughs> we should have her on and to oh, talk God. about this movie. Yeah, we are supposed to talk about her book at some point. Right. Right. It was a big moment for Amy Chua, actually. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, you know, it's like it was like humanizing the tiger. She's mom. She's like, see, I told yeah. you. Yeah. So. And also, this tiger mom is like a terrible tiger mom. You know, it's not. Yeah. Like, like she is like kind of a monster. You know. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but even she has her reasons and panda-related reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, was the panda a metaphor for anything? I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, the whole thing's kind of about menstruation and adolescence. Oh, is that what it is? Jay! <laughs> I missed There it. are pads in the movie. Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm, a, I'm just... Turning a red. I'm just... The red oh. peony blooms. Oh. Okay, guys, I'm not sure if Jay actually watched this movie. No, no, I no, think no. Casey might have read the Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, listen, first, you'll, you know, you could read this many ways, but the correct way to read it is that I am like, not nah, that, not that smart. <laughs> I missed all of that. First of all, I thought it was seeing red the whole time. Um, also, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, it's good. This is going to be amazing. Oh, I thought Frankie was going to be like, what are those white things she's holding up in the bathroom? <laughs> oh, yeah. She has, she does. There's a big tampon. There's like a big mm-hmm. tampon. Pads. Scene. Pads. If it had been tampons, it wouldn't have been culturally accurate. Oh, so it's pads. Because. What day? Yeah. Uh, because Asian immigrant moms of that era did not give their kids tampons. They only oh, they gave them pads. pads. Oh, so that's why she says you forgot. That's my understanding pad. based on like a large sample of anecdotal evidence. So the red panda is menstruation. Yeah. And all the feelings that come out of adolescence, are you going to control them or are you right. going to unleash them? You know. God, I feel so stupid. <laughs> it's so obvious now. <laughs> Tammy, you need to come over oh next God, time we watch a movie hilarious. with Frankie so that you could explain things to her better than me. You know, where I'm just like, no, the panda is her. You know, cultural Chinese warrior spirit. <laughs> well, that too, but, <laughs> but what does that really mean? Oh, man. Uh, then, but then, oh, uh, I don't know. It was funny. Anyway, we don't have to uh, analyze this to death, especially since apparently yeah. I've missed the entire point of the fucking movie. So, like, what am I? My opinions on this are totally worthless at this point. <laughs> 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 um, 
Wow, that is so dumb. So it's like a That's scarlet hilarious. letter type of thing, right? It's like this deep symbolism, but I, yeah. And that means why would they have men yeah. in it then? You know, it's a well. That's that's why that it's kind of okay that the, I wish the dad had had a little more flavor to him. Right. But right. anyway, I liked it though. He was sweet. A plus, even though I missed the whole apparently missed the whole thing, <laughs> I still enjoyed it. Uh, okay. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about this week? Okay. Uh, this will be out on Tuesday again. Uh, recording it on a Sunday morning uh, of what, the 27th today. Um, Mm -hmm. Tammy, thanks for waking up early to do this with me and adhering to my increasingly bad schedule. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to our show. Uh, We do this every week. If you'd like to support the show, go to goodbye.substack.com. There you can sign up to support the show for $5 a month. And with that, you get entry into our Discord channel, which is always talking about something. Um, and very active and you know they don't just discuss the show in fact they don't really discuss the show they at all. do not care about the show yeah there's now just... like a weekly karaoke in there <laughs> yeah they do, they do weekly karaoke. <laughs> there's a lot of talk about basketball there's talk about there's k-dramas um i don't know like it's just a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff about left politics and there's a lot of stuff about um I don't know what else. Yeah, books, labor organizing, books, whatever labor stuff. organizing, yeah. all sorts. Yeah, we of have stuff a book club coming stuff. up in a, in a weekish. Yeah. Oh, and we do a book club. The mm-hmm. last book we did was uh, with Eugene Lim, mm-hmm. Search History. Search History. Before that, we did Claire and the Sun, Jisha mm-hmm. Kuro. Yeah. We did uh, Alien we did Capital. Eco Days, Alien Capital. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's also a Capital Reading Group associated with the Discord. Right. The next book we're reading is Kanishk Thoreau's Somewhere Among the Stars. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, great. Thanks, Tammy. I will talk to you next okay. week. Easy.